2: Hello and welcome to Glad Tidings, the Athletics Everton Football Club podcast. And this is going to be a very jubilant episode of the podcast because all our musings and uh, trepidation and everything else that went into the nerves and anxiety that went into last week's episode were blown away with two goals on Saturday evening that secured Everton's first win at Anfield since 1999. Yeah, I even feel like pinching myself a little bit when I say that sentence. Everton 2, Liverpool 0, or rather Liverpool 0, Everton 2. Um, wow, so much to talk about in this episode. Not just a historic Derby win. Brilliant news for the Bramley Moor Stadium as the council grant formal planning permission. Luca Dean, one of Everton's best players, signing a new contract. And of course, a look ahead to the Southampton game on Monday. But starting at the very top, which is just about how we felt um, Tea Time Saturday, pad. <laughs> Hello, welcome in. Um, we've sobered up, finally. Um, what, wow, what What a feeling that was. Um, I didn't think it'd ever, I started to doubt if it'd ever happen. Uh, you and I were messaging on Friday afterwards and it was just uh, every cliche you want. We were, on, we were on cloud nine, weren't we? Such an important result for the club and for the fans.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, cloud nine is in, entirely right. And um, obviously it was a fantastic result fantastic performance in the main. I had a conversation not long after the game, um, which basically went along the lines of me kind of trying to put this win into context. It had been a long time since Everton had gone to Anfield and won. It was a long time since Everton had had won a Derby game at all, Um, going back to 2010 for that last Derby win, and even that was at Goodison Park. But effectively, my, my argument was that we should celebrate, of course, we should celebrate massively so. Um, because we've been so starved of success and when you haven't got silverware and when you're not even always qualifying for Europe, certainly not the Champions League, um, you, you live for moments in football. Yeah, and this this was a big moment. It was symbolic. It was really important. So Everton going to Anfield and winning, um, going, I think it was level on points with, with Liverpool in the table, wasn't it? Having mm-hmm. played a game fewer. Um, so that, that that felt important, it felt decisive, it felt like a, a a huge step in the right direction. And in the absence of silverware, that's all we've got to go off really, how Everton perform in these big, big games. Yeah. What you can say is that now you look at the record, I, I think I tweeted something earlier about the record against sides in the supposed <clears throat> top six. Mm-hmm. Um, and Everton have beaten Leicester once, they beat Spurs away, they drew with Leicester at home, they beat Spurs in the Cup, beaten Chelsea and Arsenal as well now at Goodison Park, um, as well as drawing away at Manchester United. When you put all those results together, you're you starting to see Everton turning up in the big games. And I don't think we've seen that now for, for a good while. So, so yeah, um, Cloud9 isn't entirely right. And I think it'll take quite a while for the Sheen to <laughs> dust off this one, won't it?
2: It will. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The You know, we haven't won a trophy for a long time. We know that. We haven't um, played in Europe for... good few seasons so it is about moments that's what makes seasons special that's what makes football so special um if you can't celebrate when a horrid run like that comes to an end regardless of the circumstances you know i don't i understand liverpool's weaknesses and uh injury setbacks and everything that you every bit of mitigation that you want but look everton have gone to anfield as slight favourites in the past, in that in that long, long 22 year stretch, and still bottled it, managed to throw it away, or drawn, or you know, shot themselves in the foot, whatever you want. And finally, they didn't, and it just felt so good. And you're right, I think it fits into a, a, a larger picture um, this season of stepping up, going, you know, certainly going toe to toe with the teams above us in the table, away from home in a way that they haven't done for a long time. And that was a tone almost set in the first, or well, was set in the first game of the season, down in London, beating Tottenham on their own ground. Um, and it's quite exciting to see whether or not, we, you know, under Ancelotti, certainly with how good the wayform's been, a few more of those records can start to tumble. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll look ahead and we'll discuss this, you know, in a few weeks, but our record down at Stamford Bridge is atrocious, I think it's more like 1995 since we last won or 94, 95 since we last won there in the league. Horrific. So maybe, maybe we can start to put a few of those terrible, terrible, terrible runs to bed. But the piece you and I did, we did a couple of pieces and um, you and I sat down uh, Sunday morning and began to piece together how the win came about. And it was a fun piece to write. We got some nice info. Um, one name looms large over it, doesn't it? And it was the manager. It was Carlo Ancelotti. Um, from the mind games beforehand, he, he got everything spot on, didn't he?
1: Yeah, his fingerprints all over this win, and hopefully that doesn't do any of the players that were on the pitch at Anfield the service. I thought, I mean, there was from the conversations I had with friends that support Everton and even relatives that support Everton, there was a lot of surprise at that starting lineup that he <laughs> um, that he picked. And even myself, I was kind of, I was looking at this going, where's the width going to come from? Everton don't normally play well in a, in a back three. I know, I know it wasn't always a back three, but Everton don't normally play well with, with wing backs. There, there was quite a bit of panic and trepidation about this, but um, it's not the first time that he selected a, a line-up and Twitter's kind of been set ablaze by it. And then yeah. um, we've kind of, when I say we, people in general, have um, ended up with egg on their on their faces. I thought he got it spot on. Uh, I'm not just talking about the tactics there. He did get the tactics right. Uh, deprived of puller space, um, used the certainly Seamus Coleman to negate the threat of, of Andy Robertson. As we, we mentioned in the piece, Coleman handed a, a man-marking role. But also the idea of not really always playing from the back. We know Everton liked to play from the back. They used Michael Keane a lot, Jordan Pickford a lot. In build-up play, but here they, they kind of look for that space, particularly over Kabak's head, um, and, and look to set Richarlison free down the down the sides almost. Um, Ancelotti spot on there, but I think more important than that is the fact that Everton have got him in the dressing room. That they've got a guy with this calm demeanor, this calm persona, this elder statesman as we we like to call him figure, who. As, as we're led to believe, told the players before the match that they would win, that he was confident that they would go there and win. Um, I think that matters a great deal to the dressing room. They're obviously very happy in the main under him and under his leadership, and um, he's delivered. <laughs> when you when you make comments like that, you've got to go and get a result, and and obviously he has put up in this in this case. Um, so I, I thought I thought this this was the kind of win that shows the progress that's been made under ancelotti and it's the kind of win you get when you've got a manager like ancelotti at the helm in that's in my opinion at least i completely
2: agree um, and I, I don't think don't worry it won't be the last time we, we discuss this win on the podcast it certainly won't a quick word for um you know other elements of it uh, you know and by the way honestly do do if you haven't read it already do do read the piece um there was a one AM wake up call for the players at the hotel, and then obviously we've discussed Ancelotti's fantastic input, the mind games, the selection, and then I think just really the insight into what the players were thinking on the day of the game, and indeed how they celebrated after. Um, that's really worth checking out that piece, and there's been there's been more uh, since that this week. Um, you can subscribe to Athletic now for a special price of four quid. It's three nine three ninety nine a month for six months, and it's 40% off the full price of a subscription. So it's a decent offer indeed. And you just get all the great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of this podcast and many more. Um, So, Pad, before we move on, I just want to as well, you know, obviously Everton have, as you said, been more expensive this season, but, you know, they're very pragmatic in the mould of their manager. Uh, And part of that is the excellent set pieces which you also mentioned in a piece that you've done today don't you just want to give us a a little teaser of that
1: yeah I mean obviously anybody that's watched football coverage over the last couple of months will know that people have been speaking quite commentators and pundits have been speaking quite extensively about Everton's deep line from certainly wide free kicks and corners Um, I explored that in a little bit more depth why they do it Um, What are the main reasons? Um, Long story short, um, it's to give the kind of the the main headers of the ball, the best headers, the the most aerially dominant players in the team, the opportunity to face the ball and go and attack it. It gives them more responsibility. It gives your goalkeeper less responsibility in terms of being commanding. The goalkeeper is just there to save what comes his way. And it's not entirely uncritical because the the record has improved defensively from set pieces since the days of Marco Silva, where, let's be honest, Everton were about the worst in the league. And um, the the stats bear that out as well, by the way. Um, They've improved a lot, but I think you improve a lot as well because you've got people like Michael Keane, Yeri Mina, Calvert-Lew and Richarlison's good in the areas we know. It's a very tall Everton side at this moment in time when you when you even factor in Mason Holgate and and Ben Godfrey in, in some, some situations. Everton are kind of middling, so I, I kind of had a look at kind of little quirks, little areas where, with the help of a set-piece consultant, little areas where um, Everton may need to just kind of pick up a little bit, little areas of weakness. Um, and then... The part I enjoyed a little bit more was looking at Everton's fantastic record from attacking set pieces. So I think only West Ham from um, wide free kicks and, and corners have scored more goals in those situations and they've played more games than Everton. Yeah. So um, Everton are right, right up there. Um, and I mean, that's not a massive surprise, is it? Given the, the players Everton have got at their disposal, both in terms of delivering the ball and also... Um, also attacking the ball too. So, um, so yeah, do, do check that one out. Um, hallmarks of a, of a certain Davide Ancelotti, Everton's assistant manager and obviously Carlo's son. He, um, every, every time we get feedback about Davide, it, it, it's almost always universally positive. And I hope I'm not kind of completely airbrushing out negatives here. I just I've not, I don't know about you, Greg, but I've not heard many negatives about this guy in terms no. of the role he's doing, I mean, a lot of the players really enjoy working under him. He's the one tasked with doing a lot of the kind of the tactical work and training, taking a lot of the training sessions, doing the um, doing the collective drills, I'd call them. The stuff where you're working on shape and, and set pieces and all that kind of stuff. Um, his fingerprints are over that a lot and he's very highly rated both inside and outside the club. So a nice moment to talk about him. Obviously, <laughs> most of the focus rightly goes to his uh, to his dad at the moment, but um, his paw prints are over most of this. And, and while there's room for some improvement defensively in, in terms of set pieces, I think on the whole, Everton are going in the right direction there too.
2: Absolutely. So, I mean, again, that is really worth, uh, worth a read if you haven't. Uh, and then there's a piece... By me uh, on what we'll discuss next. But before I go there, if you want to take advantage of that offer, don't forget that's £3.99 a month for six months, and that's 40% off a full uh, annual subscription. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Everton Pod to take advantage. That's theathletic.com forward slash Everton Pod for a special 40% discount code.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone?
2: Well, we did say it was a week of good news, of course. Um, No sooner had the the, the dust slightly settled on the win at Anfield, we had had the rather unusual live-streamed meeting, which was probably, uh, no doubt, had a much bigger viewership than it's ever, ever had before. And it was Liverpool Council's planning department on a windy Tuesday morning. Um, Of course, on the agenda was the Bramley Moor Stadium. Everton's plans for that, along with their uh, uh, proposals for the Goodison Park legacy project or what they're going to leave behind once they've moved stadium. And uh, as I'm sure you all know, both were unanimously approved. It was a very triumphant meeting, some fantastic um, speeches, some not not so fantastic objections. But overall, uh, Pat, do, do you feel as if now Everton are in a good place in like, you know, The governments are going to, it might take at least three weeks, centrally, Robert Jen, Jenrick at the... Uh, Secretary of State. Secretary of State, thank you, to, to review it. But I feel as if this project's got almost unstoppable momentum now.
1: Well, it feels like that, doesn't it? Certainly locally, a unanimous verdict from the Liverpool City Council Planning Committee following a week on from the recommendation that it be approved by the, the council's planning officer. I think it's quite hard if, you, if you're making noises like Genrick has done that you want things to be decided in the main locally. I think it's very hard to then um, put the buffers on something that has been so unanimously approved. And we're not just talking, of course, about the, the, the meeting on, on Tuesday and the voting there at kind of an official council level, but also whichever way you cut the data from Everton's public consultations that this is something that's just overwhelmingly popular. So um, like you say, 21 days now for, for them to decide if they're just going to go with the the decision made uh, by Liverpool City Council. Um, the noises so far have been that that's what they would like to do, but um, we'll need confirmation of that obviously in the next 21 days. Um, and huge momentum, like you say, huge momentum. What, what I would say is that the Derby room is fantastic. It was a symbolic moment. It was something we all needed, a euphoric moment Yeah. while everyone's on lockdown. The news that came on Tuesday was 10 times as significant for, for Everton Football Club because this is about future-proofing. It's about safeguarding the long-term future of the club. And we all know now, I think, it'll be a wrench to, to leave Goodison. It'll be, um, it'll be yeah. something that emotionally, I think, will, will really hit quite hard. But I think most people are in agreement, certainly I am, and I know you are too, that a new stadium is essential in terms of getting an extra revenue, being able to compete uh, financially with the, the big boys in the Premier League. So um, for, for this to be approved locally um, and to have signs that it's going to gonna, gonna kind of go well um, nationally too, I think that's, that that constitutes a real step forward beyond something any, any one derby win. Um, could do.
2: Totally agree. Um, it, it does. It does feel now that you know, in, in light of uh, the objections, which are you know, are from I'm sure listeners will will have noticed that uh, they're not the most uh, front facing, publicly accountable bodies in terms of Historic England. Or certainly, I don't feel they are. They've not fronted up uh, spokespeople. They, they they release statements, but there's Historic England and the Victorian Society and. The, the hub of their argument seems to be the, the heritage point over the stadium and, the, and that, you know, as a historic dock, um, filling that part of, of the dock in uh, would be like irre- you know, irrevocably losing some part of our heritage. But I think what they forget and what Councillor Johansson so spectacularly made the point was this is a, a disused dock. It was, it, it is historic. No one's d- debating that, but it was a, a coal yard effectively as, as even as our historic docks go and that's not to belittle any of them but we've got a few <laughs> this one was ostensibly used for storing coal for the other docks and and the most important thing for me which really rankles is that it's disused currently and it's in a part of our city which uh, is right on the edge of, of places with a lot of poverty and social deprivation yeah nobody goes there at the moment nobody goes there all the, a lot of the pubs along that stretch of road, bar the Bramley Moor itself, which is fantastic, have closed and vanished. This is an area crying out for regeneration. And if, it annoys me because I feel as if historic England, although their intentions are very good in terms of preserving heritage, it feels like that they're doing that from afar and they need to come down here and look and think what, what, what differences would make for people of the city.
1: Yeah, well, well, absolutely. And locally, people have I've come to the, the same conclusion as you the council have the residents of the city have when when this has been a public consultation i think there were a few little barbs in that in that meeting and i did listen to kind of all three hours or so of the, the meeting on tuesday i think there were a few little barbs from councillors who spoke about people from outside the city um coming in and trying to dictate what happens and i think there was another it wasn't from joe hansen but from one of the other councillors whose, whose name eludes me there was a kind of a wonderful impassioned speech about how Actually, it's more of a dereliction of duty uh, from a heritage perspective if the dock is left exactly as it is, because the public don't have access to that at the moment. Um, It's been used privately for all kinds of things over the last kind of 5, 10, 20 years and more. Um, It's like you say, in a a deprived part of the city, a part of the city that actually has got so much potential, given how close it is to the waterfront and how close it is to the city centre. And it needs a driver, it needs a catalyst for regeneration like Everton's new stadium. Um, So to, to leave it as it is, purely on the basis that this was how the dock has always been, um, is is quite bizarre from a heritage point of view. You should want innovation. You should want things to pick up and, and to move on. And Everton are looking to preserve those heritage features. So,
2: 55 million quid on doing just that.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that, I mean, that, that's a lot of money even to Everton Football Club, isn't it? So, um, I, I kind of feel as though politically Everton so far have played this very well um, because I think they've obviously they've reached out in the community and they've shown that they've done that. They've shown that the the weight of the city is behind the scheme. And then also, they've also been in regular consultation, as we know, with some of these heritage groups and have factored in some of their amendments into Everton's um, application. Yeah, absolutely. At the end of all of those meetings, um, those people from outside the city have then turned around and said, um, no, actually, um, thanks for all the work you did, but we were going to object anyway it's kind of one of those where you just shrug your shoulders what what can you actually do well those people would object to anything that went there because what they want is that dock to be preserved exactly as it is in its current guise that that doesn't suit the city of of liverpool as far as i'm concerned and and certainly that's the the conclusion councillors came to so um so yeah it, i mean like i say it just feels like a big week um starting with the derby um then kind of following in to the uh the meeting on on tuesday and then Something else we're going to talk about, Luca Dean's contract. I mean, in my time covering Everton, I can't think of a bigger week, uh, a more historic week and a more positive week. But if you extrapolate that further, I'm 29 years of age. In my time watching Everton, beyond obviously the DFA Cup final win in 1995 when I was was just three, (laughs) um, I can't remember anything that was this significant over the course of seven years. It just feels like good good news after good news after good news after good news um and um it's great it's great as a supporter but it's great as a journalist to be able to report this stuff that's what we want as much as possible isn't it so so yeah it it, it's felt like a big week it's felt like a really good feel good week and i think that's what we've all needed
2: yeah absolutely no it it really is um and as you say the good news continues the hat trick is that luca dean as as you mentioned has signed his new contract until 2025 which is uh Interestingly, the season when we're hoping to 2024 20, 25, the season where we're hoping to be playing our football on the waterfront on the banks of the Royal Blue Mersey. Um, now whether he'll be there or not, then I think a lot has to be gauged on the, on the progress of the team and, and Dean himself, but um, certainly things are moving in the right direction. And it, it was just important, I think, to get this deal over the line because Dean is a, a fiercely ambitious player, yeah. he's the best left back we've had since our previous left back. Uh, but that is certainly a compliment because replacing Leighton Baines felt like an almost impossible task and, you know, hats off to Marcel Brands. Um, the club managed that in one fell swoop with a player who has got so many hallmarks of Baines uh, at his finest, I think. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a different debate that we we can have one time where we say who, who you'd rather take. Oh, but no. let's, <laughs> let's leave that one for now, maybe. Maybe we'll do that another week. Um, you can all think about that as well. Let me know on, on social media. Uh, but um, it's just massive. And I think as well, Pad, I'm sure, sure you agree. It shows that he believes the club's moving in the right direction too.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, Luca Dean is fiercely motivated and very ambitious, as we know. We, we've written this before. And I think my worry, knowing that, as I've seen Everton kind of um, lurch from mid-table to something slightly higher over the last couple of years, was that Everton weren't going to be able to grow uh, as quickly as Dean's ambition would want Everton to. Um, So they weren't going to be able to offer him maybe European football or Champions League football. And while obviously quite evidently very happy at the club, he might have to explore other avenues. Um, again, we have to go back to Carlo Ancelotti, don't we? And the progress made on, on the pitch uh, and in the transfer market. Um, I think when you appoint somebody like Ancelotti, it, it's a statement of intent. Uh, players want to work under him. We saw that over the summer when Alan and James Rodriguez came to the club not entirely sure that those players signed for Everton. Otherwise, uh, um, Ancelotti was a big draw, and those players have mentioned that before. So then, to get into a situation where Everton are, are still keeping um, pace with the, the the chasing pack for Europe and, and the Champions League, it shows the progress that's been made, and it shows people like Dean that um, Everton are headed in the right direction. So he wouldn't have signed the deal. Um, under no illusions, he would, he would not have signed the deal, despite how happy he was. He would not have signed that deal unless he was convinced Everton were going in the right direction. And they are, which is, which is why he signed it. So um, so big piece of news again, a huge piece of news. Um, one of the best fullbacks, as we know, in the division. One of the best fullbacks in Europe, because he's a France international and plays for the French national team, the, uh, the World Cup winners and champions. Um, I think he's crucial to Everton really and tactically in the way they look to play things, because we all know how good he is at crossing the ball, uh, delivering the ball into the box. Calvert-Lewin benefits enormously. Richarlison benefits enormously from those crosses. Some of the defenders do as well from what he's delivering into the box. Um, And for Everton to have that kind of long-term successor to Everton, Baines, who was so good for, for all those years, I think is a testament, like you say, to Marcel Brands. I mean, what are we talking about? We're talking about 16 to 18 million, 18 million initially, aren't we, for for Dean's signature from from Barcelona. Um, that's an absolute snip. Um, yeah. Certainly with a new contract, what would you charge for him now? It would be <laughs> a lot.
2: A bit more. Uh, a yeah.
1: lot more than that. So um, so so it's positive news. I think the next step is going to be to find the guy that's going to do it on the other flank, We've written about that quite a lot and how they've looked now for quite a while, a, a long-term successor to Sheamus as Sheamus starts to wind down. Um, if they can do anywhere near as good business on that side as as they did with regards to Dean on the left, then Everton are going to be in a much healthier position. That That's the task. Um but Everton need more players of the quality of Luka Dean and if they, are, if they do, then they're, they're, they're kind of in the right direction, aren't
2: they? As you say, that's that's the big challenge, isn't it? Facing Everton in, in terms of the recruitment in the summer. Um, it would be fantastic to, to think that we can retain our best players like Luka Dean, like Richarlison, who we've written a piece on which will be on the site tomorrow, as in Friday. Um, I think that's going to be a really interesting read too. And you know what? I'm sure they look at it and players, obviously it would only be a small factor in their decision but I'm sure they look at the plans just to touch on the new stadium again and they must look at it and think like, you know, I want to be part of this because you can't look at those images of of the Bramley Moore Stadium, whatever it's going to be called, on the banks of the Mersey. The architecture and the idea of Dan Meese and, and, and everything that's been done since and not be excited. I mean, that is a good looking stadium, isn't it? That is a, an iconic stadium, isn't it?
1: It is. I mean, did you see that Telegraph article the other day? I, I can't remember the exact headline. So hopefully I'm not Um, Doing them a disservice here, but will Everton Stadium be the best-looking in the country uh, or something along those lines? Um, And, yeah, I'm I'm almost certain it will be. It's a fantastic design. Credit to Dan Meese for that design. And you only have to see now the, the way Ancelotti speaks about his future at the club and playing in front of that new stadium. I know Luca Dean... Said something similar when he was when he was interviewed by the club after signing a new deal, but on Thursday, Ancelotti had a press conference ahead of Southampton, and he, he said he'd, he'd love to manage Everton in that new stadium, mm-hmm. which means that he'd need to probably, if we're being honest, extend his current deal. Um, people that read the Athletic will be well aware that, that that he's happy, he's really enjoying life at Goodison. He was already contemplating. Ex- extending his stay um we wrote that in our one year of carlo piece around i think it was around december wasn't it um but he kind of he, he verbalized that again uh, yes uh, in the in the press conference and said that he hopes that he, uh he, he's leading the team out probably bramley moore so it's a it's a it's a, it's a beautiful looking stadium but it's a stadium as well that an ancelotti or a luca dean will want to uh want to witness up close to him
2: I mean, with Dean, again, you spoke about how, how crucially important he is to Everton. Um, the bit, we've had a happy knack during during over the years of, of getting left-backs who can deliver absolutely killer set-pieces, corners. I mean, you don't need to go back to uh, Baines. You can go back to Andy Hinchcliffe. And then, of course, he was a left-winger. But if you talk about left-sided players, Kevin Sheedy. But then, you know, you look at our most successful era, um, you know, clearly Pat Vanden Heuwen was a different type of player, yeah. more of a def- defender's defender. But we, we have had a lot of left-footed players who've had immaculate delivery. And I always remember like an Andy Hinchcliffe corner was often as, as good as an, a, an assist before he'd taken it, sometimes for one happy period. Yeah. It'd be interesting to think where Baines is going to rate uh, for these left-footers, the amazing left-footers we've had at the club, certainly left-backs rather.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you mentioned Andy Hinchcliffe there, I was getting images of him in the um, salmon-striped Everton kit of the kind of... Yeah. The, I mean, it was kind of 93-ish, wasn't it? Yeah. Not not quite mid-90s, but but there or thereabouts. Remember him kind of delivering balls at Loftus Road and, and places like that and just putting them on a sixpence for, for everyone. Like you say, we've been really lucky to have players of the quality of Hinchcliffe and... For, um, Unsworth, Baines, Luca Dean delivering the ball from from that flank and from other flanks, depending on what they were doing. Um, and it like you say, it'll probably spark a bit of a debate as to where Dean sits in in relation to those guys. Mm. Um I, I've I've been quite lucky. I sat through a lot of Leighton Baines growing up. Um, and I think what you've got with Baines, as well as the footballing ability, which was obviously top, top class, he was kind of PFA team of the year and Player of the Year at left-back um, on a number of occasions, while Ashley Cole was still around. So that's no mean feat. But I think what you've got with Baines as well is you've got an emotional resonance, haven't you? Certainly yes. for people from the city. Uh, he's a local lad. Obviously poured his heart and soul into Everton. Luca Dean is pouring his heart and soul into Everton, but he's not a local lad. So that makes that discussion that bit harder because sometimes you're not just talking about footballing matters. What I would say is I don't consider to there to have been any drop-off from Baines to Dean. Maybe just in terms of Baines, Baines every now and then would do something like a kind of Stanford bridge where he scored that free Everton kick late in the game and in, in the FA Cup game to take Everton into extra time. Dean doesn't quite take free kicks to the same extent. So he's not afforded the opportunity to do that. Um, so maybe Baines scores a few more and Dean obviously creates an awful lot of goals. Um, it's Quite a nice debate to have, isn't it? Because we're talking about two guys there that... Like, like I was saying earlier, not only among the best we've seen at Everton, but among the best kind of peer wise as well.
2: No, I remember having almost looking through the same statistics over Baines and how he led the way in the European big leagues as a left-back. Uh, and as we've often had the same discussion of a Dean, it's, it's scary how similar they are in so many different ways. It really is. We will have that debate one day, actually. We will have that debate about who, who's the best. Things a bit early, because I think with Baines... Sample size is just so much bigger. I think you'd have to you have to wait a couple of seasons, but you know I'm open to maybe having it sooner. And um, perhaps we could even have a discussion about it on Friday night because Friday um, we're going to be uh, we're going to be back on air, if you like, We are. In a slightly different capacity. Pad, would you like to tell the listeners what we're doing on Friday night?
1: Yeah, so uh, it's something we've mentioned I think on at least one previous podcast, and, and it's certainly been on the website as well for for Athletic subscribers. We're hosting a big Everton quiz, raising money for Prostate Cancer UK on Friday the 26th. Um, you asked me earlier what time it was. I'm, I'm still going to say it was half seven, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll post, I'll tweet something about it just to make double sure. We've got prizes, really, really good prizes, but can't reveal much just yet. Um, and it'll be good, good fun. More than anything, we'll, we'll host it. And I think we'll, because it's friday night we'll want to have crack open the beers ourselves after a long a long week a long long seven days um and urge the drinkers or people that don't drink to, to get involved too. um it's gonna be really good fun i think i've written the, i've written my like some questions you've written your questions well can't quite remember actually what i've actually written so it'll be a bit of a surprise <laughs> to, to, to me too um And yeah, we would love people to sign up. Obviously, it's a really good cause.
2: Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, please do come come and get involved if you haven't already signed up. Great cause. And uh, we'll tweet about it, won't we? Once we're a bit clearer on details. We will indeed. But I think it'll be a laugh. Looking forward to it. Um, So, okay, before we wrap up, we should also look ahead to Monday when I think it's a very important game. It might not have the glamour of our recent uh, fixtures, you know, Old Trafford, Man City. Uh, and, and obviously, you know that amazing evening at Anfield, but we've got Southampton on Monday, and um, in many ways, it's it's almost as essential because I feel it's it's must win, and I just I just think it becomes the game that has defined what's been frustrating about everything this season. And if they can over if they can get through that, then I really I'm excited about where the rest of the season leads. I mean, yeah. it, it, if you think Fulham came to Goodison couple of weeks back now on the back of a terrible run. Um, frustrated us. We're hungrier. We were unable to break them down. And they took the points. And, and it was a game that still rankles Ancelotti. You can tell it certainly rankled me sitting through it. Yeah. It was one of the worst performances I've seen for a while. Southampton are coming on the back of a bad run of form. But we know under Ralph Hasenhuttle, we know they've got good players. We know they're well-organised. And we know because we've seen it this season at a way that they can frustrate us. For all those reasons, Everton have to deliver, don't they, on Monday?
1: Yeah, it's an opportunity to keep the feel-good factor going. I think it's another opportunity as well to put this quite unwanted away record to bed now. Um, I think Everton, certainly in the lower half of the table when it comes to purely home form, and I don't even think a comfortable mid-table place, they're, they're, they're kind of dropping towards the foot of the table because of recent results like Fulham at Goodison Park. So it's an opportunity... in in those kind of senses. But it's also, of course, you've got to see this as a chance to to take another three points at home and put extra pressure, potentially leapfrog some of the teams around you competing for that Champions League place as well. Um, not, Not the best stylistic matchup, I wouldn't say, for Everton. We've seen problems against sides that sit really deep. Southampton, I don't think, will sit really deep. But we've also seen problems when sides have really, really pressed so like Southampton did at St. Mary's, like Fulham did at Goodison recently, when Everton had pressed high up the pitch, they've had trouble playing out, breaking mm. out and getting forward. What I would say is that I actually think we could learn quite a few lessons from the approach against Liverpool, not in terms of how much ball possession Everton have, but how they use that pass, that long pass into the channels to get Richarlison and, and Calvert-Lewin on the run in the second half. I think what Ancelotti did, I mean, Jamie Carrick did a really good segment on this on Monday Night Football. Jordan Pickford normally passes really short Yeah, when, when Everton are building from the back with goal kicks and stuff like that. They just completely negated that. They, they stopped doing that at, um, at Anfield and went longer earlier. Um, and it was far from route one. They played some lovely stuff, as we saw. But it just caused Liverpool no end of problem. And it also circumnavigated their press so, I mean, they, Everton didn't lose the ball close to their own goal because they weren't playing in those areas. And I think Southampton are at the most dangerous when they nick the ball off you really high up the pitch and use the kind of the explosion of Ings and 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 what well not Walcott he won't be playing but Gineppo and a few of those guys. So I'd actually, I'd actually I'd actually look at what Everton did in the second half there at times against against Liverpool and I'd use some of it against um, against Southampton. I wonder, I mean. Richarlison was fantastic and has been fantastic in that um, central striking role, but Calvert-Lewin is now much closer to full fitness. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do, I think with Richarlison in particular. But I loved seeing them link up in the second half at Anfield when Calvert-Lewin came on. I mean, they, they stuck up from last season, we know. They stuck up a real kind of instantaneous partnership, but working very close together. Um, Calvert-Lewin um, obviously winning the penalty from a from a pass from from Richarlison uh, and a number of other kind of kind of near misses and nice pieces of play, so that's something that I'd probably like to see more um, in certain situations where they're not going to be overrun in midfield. Um, and more than anything, like like we say, it's it's a game you've got to win. It's, it's a game yeah. given where Everton are, given the progress that they're making. Let, let's just keep that momentum going and if, if, if they are able to do that then obviously they put themselves in a fantastic position
2: they really do yeah <laughs> the table then starts to look uh, very exciting especially again with that game in hand the difficult one uh, against villa but nevertheless a game that we've got up our sleeves so to speak so uh, it gives us a, a say in our own destiny really as the uh, as the as the fixtures tick on towards a bit of an end game so um Don't forget to check out the site uh, tomorrow for a piece, Paddy mentioned, not Richarlison there, where he'll end up playing on Monday. We have a piece sort of examining how he's revived his form, really, from the the disappointing goal uh, drought that he's had earlier this season when he's not looked himself. Um, So there's plenty of nice insight in that. Please do check it out. And then as well, uh, don't forget, we have the quiz tomorrow, the Everton quiz Friday night Uh, you can sign up for a free trial actually a 30-day trial with Athletic at theathletic.com forward slash PCUK and register to play the quiz that's theathletic.com forward slash PCUK and PCUK of course stands for Prostate Cancer UK which is the whole reason we're doing this it's a fantastic cause it's a cause that deserves a greater platform more public awareness and um, ultimately one that's going to save people's lives the more we can generate awareness and uh, raise funds for them. So please do come uh, and have a drink, come and uh, have some famously difficult questions. All of those have been devised by Paddy. Don't shout at me. <laughs> uh, good luck making sense of my questions and uh, yeah, we'll, have a, we'll have a good evening. Thanks again for listening uh, to Glad Tidings. It's a fantastic week. We've enjoyed it. We hope you have too. See you next week.
1: Athletic.